Hi, I'm Kara Infante, and this is Bookish Flights. In each episode, I chat with one bookish guest as we take some time to sample and savor the pairing recommendations from their bookish flight. We hope to give you suggestions to cultivate your TBR list and nurture your leisure time through books. In today's episode, I am chatting with Matt Coyle. Matt is the best-selling author of the Rick Cahill PI Crime Series. He was named the 2021 San Diego Writers Festival Mystery Writer of the Year, and his novels have won the Anthony Award, the Seamus Award, the Lefty Award, and the San Diego Book Award, among others. He has also received nominations for numerous Anthony, McCavity, Seamus, and Lefty Awards. Odyssey's End is the 10th book in this award-winning series. Welcome to the show, Matt. Well, thanks for having me. I am... um... With each year that passes, I wonder how long I can use that 2021 um, <laughs> San Diego Writer Festival Award. Although really all the other awards, they don't have any dates attached to them. So why not? I can use it forever. There you go. And you still will hold the honor of having it forever from 2021. So <laughs> I have the award. actually. Very cool. Yeah, it's an accomplishment. I think you should hold on to it. <laughs> oh, I'm going to. Awesome. Well, this is a great bio, but can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Yeah, um, I've been writing for, uh, seriously writing for, I think about 21 years. took me about 10 years to get published. So uh, this is my 10th book. It's probably a 10th book in 11 and a half years. Um, I knew I wanted to be a writer a million years ago when I was a little kid it is many decades ago. Uh, my father gave me The Simple Art of Murder by Raymond Chandler. And I didn't realize to become a writer, it took me decades to figure out that you have to actually have to write to become a writer. It's the, <laughs> it's the part they don't tell you about. And, it doesn't um, just flow off the pen? No. <laughs> not at all. But uh, in my 40s, I figured it out. Wonderful. So all along from childhood, were you kind of writing here and there? Maybe not as your primary focus, but. Yes. Uh, here and there is definitely uh, the right term for it. Okay. I, I In high school as an angsty, although an athlete, angsty kid, I wrote poetry. And I remember I had this, I was kind of a smart ass in school, hard to believe. But I had this <laughs> uh, English teacher who was the smart ass himself, older gentleman. And he, he liked me. We kind of uh, battle each other for fun. And so there was some assignment and it involved poetry. So I wrote, I wrote some funny stuff and I wrote some deep stuff, you know, like I said, angsty. And so he's he telling me, he goes, I don't think you read, I don't believe you wrote these. And I go, I got really pissed. And then there was a funny one to go, I believe you wrote this, but I don't think, I go, no, I wrote these. I, I wanted to throw down. I was so you know, so pissed off. So it's, in, it's been in yeah. me, been in my whole life. It's in, it's in the genes. My um, great aunt was Mary Chase who wrote the play, which turned into a movie with Jimmy Stewart uh, called Harvey about the uh, wow. Jimmy Stewart and his six foot invisible rabbit best friend. Wow. And uh, so it's goes way back. And my, that was on my father's side and my mother's side, my, her grandmother wrote little, kind of poetry as well but never got never tried to get published or anything it was a long long time ago but it would have been my great-grandmother who i never yeah. met so it's in the genes um but I, I waited an awful long time to start doing it but i always knew that i wanted to do it okay. um but i made the mistake of telling people that that's what i wanted to do so 
Then when I wasn't doing it, they'd be asking me, how's the running going? Uh, oh, uh, yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> so, but uh, finally at a certain age, um, when I was working for a golf company, and I'd seen many of them go out of, out of business b- before, and this one was going down. I said, well, this is it. I think I was 42 or three. I said, this is it. Okay. You can't uh, pretend this is something you're going to do if you don't do it when this company goes under. Sure enough, it went under. I had some money saved up. And I wrote every day for what, five or six months. And it was really one of the most um, happiest six months of my life, probably. Yeah. I realized whatever talent I have, I was finally doing it. And um, this is what God, this is the talent he gave me to finally yeah. use. And realizing every day when I wrote that I could that I could do it, that I, it was something I could do and I love, <clears throat> even though I kind of hate it most of the time. I do love it. It's a love-hate relationship. <laughs> but my a guy I worked with, I was in the golf business for many years, and a guy I'd, I'd worked with called called me, swear to God, it was uh, within a week of me writing uh, what I thought was a book, but it was really a, a first um, first draft. But, okay. <laughs> but he said, hey, I need somebody over in the sports collectible company I'm working with in sales. And I said, well, you know, Eric, I finally wrote that book. And very soon I will be getting an agent. She'll sell the book. I'll buy the house in La Jolla and I won't need a day job anymore. But, you know, I will come over and help you out until that happens. And I worked there for 13 years. Wow. (laughs) But I I did write five books while I was working there. I finally did get published and I wrote five books while I had the day job, which is very common for for writers and specifically for mystery writers. Yeah. Um, We're not getting, a lot of us aren't getting rich at this point, but um so yeah, but I was finally doing something that I really realized I was meant to do. And that was that was a great understanding. You know, I felt um like I'd wasted a lot of time. I was pretty old at that point. But on the other hand, I haven't had a tremendously exciting life. So I don't think I had a whole lot of life experience to write about before then. I, I think 10 years earlier would have been a better kind of start. I'd probably have 10 more books out, but um you know, you get to be a certain age and you've experienced a lot of life um, just by aging and you've a lot of love, love lost, family members lost. So you you are able to take real emotion and put it in fiction and situations that you've never been a part of, but you know the real um, the real feelings. So that's that's kind of I mean, that's to me, that's the essence of what writers fiction writers are supposed to do. Take real emotion that they felt and put it into something they they never been, they never done. Yeah. Absolutely. And it, it's so funny you say this because I've been reflecting on, I just hit my one year anniversary on the podcast. Oh, and I thought I was thinking about it of like, if I would have tried to do this back in my 20s, like you said, it's you just have so much more life experience to be yeah. able to talk to people and relate to people and come from it from a place of understanding. And it's not writing like you're doing, but I've been thinking about that of like life experience. It's it's not a bad thing, right? I really feel like it gives us a different position. Than Absolutely. We, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, if I'd been, a, if I'd been a soldier, if I'd been a cop, if I'd been a lawyer, probably should have started writing earlier, but um, you know, it, 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 it came when it came and I've been working pretty hard at it ever since. Yeah. So what for you, when you say, okay, I worked for this company for 13 years before I kind of <laughs> just decided to then focus on writing, like what causes that perspective shift for you? Like, you know what? I'm taking it and I'm going full time with the writing. Well, it really was that time in between when this golf company went out of business. I had some okay. a little bit of money saved up. And because I, 
you 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 asked me earlier if I was writing you know here and there, and I was. Um, okay. You know, I have a degree in English. That's what you're supposed to do. Either either uh, go to law school or um, write or wash dishes with the degrees, which I which I did when I got out of college. Then I worked my way up being a man- manager of a restaurant. But um, yeah, it was that just realizing because I don't think you know having a day job all you know you got to pay the bills. Yeah, and absolutely. So. I didn't realize that I could set aside time every day and to to get done what I need to do until I had a lot of time, you know, until I really did it, you know, I had no constraints in terms of the job or anything. So I really wrote every day and I got in that rhythm of writing every day. And then when I, when I did start, when I got back uh, working again, I was writing every, every day as well. And so having to be focused and disciplined to, to write every day while you had the day job really benefited me when I quit my day job uh, five years ago to, you know, to, to really have the discipline because now I don't have a boss, um, you know, I've got responsibilities, but um, so the, the discipline you build up by having that day job really helps. Yeah. Helped. And I love that this underlying theme of writing was always a passion of yours. And like you said, okay, you have to go in other jobs, you have to pay the bills, right? But it just persisted until it finally became your lifestyle, right? And that's such a cool story. Yeah, you know, I mean, like I said, I I would tell people for many years, yeah, I'm gonna be a writer. Because I I didn't, I had that to keep me from having to pursue a career. There are a lot of very successful writers. They're very successful in real careers. I worked in the restaurant business. Yes. I became a manager and did that for a few years. But then I, then I basically went into sales, phone sales, working for in the golf company, okay, a golf business rather um, dealing with, you know, selling to retail, but still, I mean, I did, um, I traveled a bit and did a lot of shit trade shows, but really I didn't feel I had a career and I was okay with that because I'm going to be a writer, but I wasn't really writing. And so I had pretty much, a lot of guilt built up, but that's a good thing for, especially what I write. Guilt is a good thing to work with. <laughs> maybe that was a, maybe that was some of the life experience I needed to have with guilt. Um, but so uh, it was, it was, I it, to finally do it, and then re, and then realize that I could do it. And while I had a day job, like I said, every mystery writer does it. But I felt like, well, you know, I'm making up for that lost time because I did, I am, you know, earning my keep with my real my day job we always call them day jobs and yet i was still and so i was still turning out books you know five books in five years or no five books in about seven years um while i was working and you know got them published and all that and still travel did conferences went uh did you know some mini tours when the books would come out so made all that work so i kind of made up for being a slouch i think for all those years by just doing you know double time when i had the day job yeah And I think to your point of structure, right? I mean, people really thrive on that when it's okay. Like I'm working eight to five, but I still want to make writing, you know, my passion. I want to make that work. So, okay. I have from 5.30 to 10 PM to do what I need to do to get back to work tomorrow. And I think there's something to be said about that structure in your day versus like, okay, I can do whatever I want today. Right? It's a little bit harder to be so disciplined, like you're saying. Right. And to be honest, it did take me one after I quit my day job, it did take me a f- a f- more than a few months to get back into the 
the rhythm of um, having specific times to write and being more disciplined. But as a writer, well, there's two things. The best thing I've in my entire life is not writing. I mean, I can do that really well. Uh, I can not write at any time. But also, as a writer, the more you're in the in the genre, particularly the mystery genre, the more responsibilities from outside um, are offered to you. And and the whole mystery community, I don't know. I think you, I know, I've um, listened to some of your podcasts, which is really good. I know you talked to William Kent Kruger and other mystery writers. There's kind of a this this ethos in the mystery community that everybody helps everybody else. It's an amazing thing. I'd heard about it from a woman who um, was kind of my mentor, Carolyn Wheat, for many years. She said, well, "You just you're a part of this people. It's amazing. They're amazing people, and we're all we're all competing for shelf space. If you think about it, me yeah. and and freaking Michael Conley we're competing for shelf space. You know, I'm not really competition him, but but yet everybody helps each other out. It's a pretty cool thing. And so when people ask you to borrow a book. You know, you feel responsible because you ask people and then on your way up also people have, you know, given you a hand, I'll say a hand, not a handout, but a hand down, you know, a, yeah. a hand, giving you a hand. And, and so I've tried to do the same. Um, but so there are always a lot of different things you can be doing and not writing. Plus, there's always marketing. I mean, you know, as a mid-lister like I am and, and almost everybody, I mean, you think of speaking to Michael Connolly, who I had the pleasure of interviewing a couple of weeks ago. Oh, uh, for cool. for Warwick's down in Coronado. Um, okay, you know, even he's traveling. He's he's a marketing. He's traveling. It's not. It's not. Um, you know, he's not doing his own traveling, but he is. I mean, he is the one on the road. So everybody, you do have to market, and of course, the bigger you get, probably the more of your time is sapped. And so there's always that. It is a business. Um, that's something that I kind of knew, but I didn't really know the significant. You know, the details of it when I finally got published. Um, because you, you are your business and yeah. you have to treat it that way. And, um, there's always something you could be doing, especially marketing. There's just always some little thing you could be doing, but, and so, but marketing is such a nebulous thing that, you know, you're throwing stuff on the wall and seeing what sticks and you're not even sure if it's stuck for a reason that time and maybe not another time. So, um, it, it is very easy to, um, waste time trying to figure out what's the next new marketing thing yeah I you're speaking it. to my soul right now the podcaster oh. world is the same <laughs> yeah. yeah i had a podcast for four and a half years oh yeah so you know yeah, yeah it is really you know same you're like okay will yeah. this stick will that stick will i this have work? no you idea <laughs> i have no idea yeah so do you like that switching gears though like you're using the in the creative the writing process and then you switch gears to then market the book after the publication do you like having that balance like that here's what i like that surprises me because um i am kind of a i am i'm not kind of i am a homebody um I quit drinking about over 35 years ago. And once I quit, I, you know, I kind of reeled back. My, my life got a little better under control and I didn't really need to go out that much. Yeah. Um, and I am, I'm, you know, when I'm around a small group of friends, I, I am the center of attention often, but not in a bigger group. I can, you know, I can wallflower pretty easily, but I found out that I really enjoy public speaking is a very scary thing. And um, when I had to do my first book signings, it was, you know, I was um, really nervous about it. I still get a little nervous, which is good. Yeah. But I realized that I enjoy it. Um, public speaking. Um, 
I really enjoy it more off the cuff than when I have to be prepared for something. Um, <laughs> and I enjoy meeting readers. It's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, absolutely. And just um, when I do it, when I do a talk, I really like to get to the, the, the Q and a, cause that, you know, that they want to know certain things, maybe more so than I thought they wanted. You know, I mean, that they're, I'm talking about what I think is interesting to them, but they're going to tell me what's interesting to them. So what surprised me and when I first got published is how much I learned to enjoy that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, uh, I have a publicist. My publisher has a publicist. Um, but I am always thinking about what can I do next. And <laughs> my poor publicist, if I ever see somebody on, on social media and they there's some reviewer I've never heard of, or they're on some podcast I've never heard of. I've screenshot, shoot it, shot it, shoot it, and then send it off to her, text her off to her. And she lives on the East coast. So it's probably, you know, midnight or something. And I yeah. hope she doesn't, I hope, I hope there's no ding on her phone when it comes across. But so I am always, you're always thinking about the marketing aspect sure. and what the new next thing is. And, and you, I, I actually made a, I'm rambling on here, but um, I guess in the guests, I'm supposed to do that. Yes, um, you are. <laughs> I go to Lake Tahoe every year and I kind of uh, make these resolutions out on this pier at night before I go home, uh, the next day before I go home. Uh, and I said, well, I, I want to challenge myself more in the marketing aspect this year, make myself do things that I wouldn't normally want to do. And one of them is probably teaching because my um, method process is so messed up that I don't, people have asked me to teach before. I, I really I can't. I mean, I can I can critique very. I'm a good critiquer. I've been in writers groups up okay. until about a year ago for 20 years. So I, I, I have a point of view. I'm a good critiquer and I've worked across genres with many different genres. And, um, you know, and I, I think that what I say is important, whether it is or not. So I'm confident in that, but in terms of actually teaching the writing and all that, I'm not confident at all. So, but a couple, I haven't done them yet, but a couple opportunities have just arisen. So, um, wow. I'm going to do that. So I am challenging myself to do things that'll make me uncomfortable, more uncomfortable. Yeah. This brings up a great point. So in your writing process, where are you getting your ideas for your books? You know, uh, topical events, top some news that'll that'll bleed its way into my writing. And there was uh, my second book, uh, Night Tremors. I took an actual uh, case that I'd seen on, I guess it was, both, it was on Dateline and for 88 Hours. It was a guy. Okay. I think he was 17 and he was, he was convicted of killing his parents and it, they would show it. And, and those shows always have a point of view. And the point of view basically was he didn't do it. And so, and it was unusual to have two networks do the same, the same case, yeah. you know, and they, every year there'd be an update on this guy and like, He's innocent. And I would get, I go online. How can I help you? <laughs> Cause yeah. this guy's in jail for something he didn't do. And then finally, I think, I think it took 10 years or more and he got out. So I took the idea of this guy. Um, he wasn't, you know, I, I first person protagonist, Rick Cahill. He's a private eye. So Rick would be involved in this case to try to get this guy uh, out of prison. And okay. I twist, I twisted it all over. I mean, just the, that little premise is what started it for me. Yeah, a kid, a kid killing his parents at, at, at under adult age, but uh, the rest is completely fictionalized. Um, yeah. So there's that, and there's just little things like in Odyssey's end. There's something on cryptocurrency, which I did a fair amount of research on, and I still don't understand. <laughs> That's what I was gonna. I was very impressed when you said that because I'm like, it's a whole world out there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 
but you know, Rick didn't really have to understand it completely either. And so in, in conversations he had, he, there's enough information that it's, I asked my editor at the end, I said, Hey, did, when I turned it in, I said, is there enough of the machinations of cryptocurrency? Is there enough? And then she said, yeah, it's good. It's fine. I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to data dump as you know, you don't have to know everything and bore your readers with all this cool stuff True. you learn, but, but still a uh, cryptocurrency. I, I, I don't really get it. Um, so there's, um, there, there's usually something like that. I did uh, in uh, Doom Legacy. No, Last Redemption, I think. Yeah, Last Redemption. I had um, something to do with the something I'd seen. I was I was kind of searching for um, Twenty Three and Me type thing. Oh yeah, okay. That was going to be kind of the main sub, the main plot, and then. You know how the rabbit hole comes up. I found something about that somebody thought they were very close to being able to predict cancers, and I thought, "Wow, what what a boon that would be for the pharmaceutical industry if they could get that, you know, be a part of that, and then prescribe drugs that would help inhibit whatever you're, you know, decades in advance. I mean, you'd be a lifetime." um on this one or two particular drugs whatever they were so um that was one i just fell into and i found it much more interesting yeah. than i was trying to write so you know i did a fair amount of research on that um i've got uh, a friend of mine david putnam he's a good writer um he's a former he's, he's a former cop he's done everything as a cop he's really a sher former sheriff's deputy but he's done everything he even worked for a hot wife i have so I'm, i can always pick his brain for things in um, in that world yeah. um but really for me the main thing is I've been writing this one character, first person, Rick Cahill, yeah. is yes, I have I have an idea for the main plot, plot line. And I see the end of it out there. I see this target, it can get nebulous to me, but I do I, I know where to point as I write. Okay. But then how it really affect how it really comes to, um together for me is the major subplot for Rick, what's going on in his life? And there's always something, and it's generally uh, um difficult so what difficulties is he going through we're taking this case any case or this case in particular that'll make his life more difficult and so once i get that that subplot um nailed down and that comes very quickly to me okay um then the story kind of builds around it if it if that makes any kind of sense i'm always um i'm always kind of amazed when a reviewer will say what's well, well plotted and i'm thinking well if you only knew the truth because <laughs> The plot really goes upon, to some degree, like I said, I, I can see the end out there, but I have to get yeah. there. So it's the the actions Rick takes is where the plot goes. And it has to be true to the story around him. But I build it from how, what would he do here? And then what, you know, how will that make things worse? Always looking for worse. And so then I kind of um, build my way to the end that ending from there. But in, in revision, you know, you're cutting out, you're uh, smoothing off the edges, and um, eventually it all comes together. But it, it's not a straight line at all. Yeah. It's very crooked. I love that. Thank you for sharing your process of that. As you were talking, I was wondering, too, I have never asked any of the authors I've had on, when does the title come to you? Are you trying to fit a title onto this at the end? Mostly. 
I know I know <laughs> okay. some authors that start with the title, which would which I, which wow. is a great thing to have if you can, because then it really yeah. points you where you want to go. For me, it's not that way at all. The title okay. comes the title comes usually organically through um, something. As I, I'm writing in first person, as I mentioned, so basically in Rick's head the whole time. So something he's either thinking about or through dialogue or through some action. That's how the title comes about. Okay. My first title was Yesterday's Echo. And my publisher really liked two word titles after that. So yeah. I have to drill everything down to two words. And some some have come, they all do. Well, there's been a couple of times where they didn't come organically through the book. Okay. And so when I had thought of a great title, then I would end up putting it in the story and yeah. where it made sense. But um, I remember the, the first book, I had a crappy title. And then um, I think I worked it out before I turned it in. We got to a better title. I had a really bad title for many years because you know, it took me 10 years to get published. So the next book, uh, which became Night Tremors. I had a bad title. I knew it was a bad title. I turned it in because I thought, well, they could come up with a title. Yeah. <clears throat> and so my editor said, well, this title isn't very good. And I said, I know. Let me know what you think. And they said, no. <laughs> so no, I need a title from you. And I need it. And she gave me some time frame. And I don't remember what it was. But it was pretty quick. You know, a couple yeah. of days or something. But once she gave me a deadline, I had it within 15 minutes. It just coalesced wow. for me. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm looking at my books behind me. Uh, Odyssey's end came late, but not after. Yeah. Your legacy was after. I had to push it, and then it, it works. Okay. I think it works well. But then I, because I do like it seemingly be organic from the book, even though I'm sure. shoving it back in. <laughs> so, uh, but most of them, there's only one that came really early, and that was Blood Truth. Okay. Uh, my, my fourth book. And that was rick is wondering he's the this backstory of his father before him who had been a cop and thought to be a bad cop and he's died he was an alcoholic after he was kicked off the force and so rick has carried that dark cloud. rick had his own problems being a cop so he's carried that dark cloud around him and that book he he solves the puzzle okay. but in it he's wondering am i you know am i my father's dna 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 is it you know is the truth in the blood yeah. So, um, and that's something he'd struggle with all throughout the series. Um, so that one I had early, I had really early, but generally they come late. Um, I okay. don't worry about it. Oh, it's funny that what I'm writing now is something very different, but I actually had the title first. Um, yeah, I have the title first, whether it stays or not, I don't know. I, I have to, um, get the book finished and yeah. sold, but, um, yeah, so it's a rare occasion when I have it first, but everything's subject to change. Yeah, I love that it's kind of all over the place. But I'm like, as you were talking, I'm like, well, I've never asked any of my authors that. But, you know, again, you've run a podcast yourself. And sometimes I feel like putting a title on it in like a concise format, that's a really hard thing to do. <laughs> it is for me. But like I said, yeah. some people, that's the first thing I have. Title. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, what have you learned about yourself through writing? Hmm. Um, well, I think all writers are trying to work things out, but they, uh, I will say, f um, fiction writers. Sure. I, I think we're all trying to work things out in internally. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've learned that I can be, uh, more disciplined, um, when I need to be, but I learned something 
just last year, I think that um, surprised me. It was the strangest. Um, it was a writers' conference. It was at the BoucherCon, the big, the, the big, huge mystery writers' conference. And they, every year, it's a different city. It was in San Diego this year. Okay. Last year, it was in Minneapolis, and it was a very odd um, panel called. It had something. It was like grief and private eyes or something, which is like what bizarre. Yeah. And rookie moderator, God bless him, but um, it took her a long time to get to me, even with the first question. Okay. So the guy next to me, the guy next to me, who's a friend who plays in our traveling poker game at all these conferences, um, he's, he's, he's my age or a little older. And he said, you know, I, I haven't really had to deal with grief. I did lose my parents, but they lived a full life. And he, and he said, I've never had to deal with anything like that. And it hit me that I got really emotional and um, because our family suffered a tragedy and we lost someone very young at, um, when she was just day before her 16th birthday and she was my niece. Um, Okay. And I have, my entire family was, you know, really uh, struck by that. She was a wonderful kid would have been a wonderful person she was a wonderful person would have been a wonderful adult yeah and i saw what it did to my sister my brother-in-law and i I know what it did to me it was was something that all my life has risen up this emotion would rise up when i think about it sometimes it's really difficult um and i realized that as i was talking i was getting emotional and the the audience was great but i realized that that's what uh, my books tend to be a little melancholy they're not um there's humor um there's violence um, but there's a kind of this undertone of melancholy, um, not annoyingly so, hopefully. But I, I at that point, and I always kind of wondered why. My, as I said, my life's been fairly easy, but then I thought, well, no, there's been some tragedies in my family's life. And I realized, and this was only a year ago, that this is something that I really have been working on, and that's the undercurrent of melancholy. And also, the, I realized that in, in writing this book, Odyssey's end that the last three books have really been about family and I don't have children. Um, the timing in life didn't work out for me on that. And I realized that Rick, now that he has a family, he never expected to have one after he lost his first wife um, to murder before the first book. Thought I'd never be a father and circumstances in, as I wrote Rick all these years, he fell in love again and he became a father and it's a miracle child for him. And it's the main thrust. It, it changed his life. It's the main thrust of his life, his, his responsibility for his child, even as his family is split up. I realized that my last three books have really been about family. This one more consciously. Yeah. And that's something that I think that also has my mind's been working on uh, and my heart for, for years that I kind of, I would, I've skated by and not tried to think too deeply about, it, but I really think um, it's probably a little deep for the conversation, but that's something I, I uh, th- that has made me realize that the not having families had greater significance than I thought it did. Yeah. yeah. I've had other authors that have said similar, like it's almost a form of therapy, right? It's yeah. allowing you to process your own world. I think so. In that form. Yeah. 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 And then sometimes you don't, you know, I mean, there's some books where, you know, you're not, there's no consciousness of it at all, but you yeah. probably, you probably still are working something out. Yeah. All right. So we have Odyssey's End is out now, came yeah. out in mid-November, right? 
right? Two weeks ago okay. today, as we as we record. Awesome. I I will say that I listened to the yesterday's end, right? The first one. Yesterday's echo. Echo. Sorry. It's all right. You, got, you start with echo, and then you have end. Possibly yeah, being the that's end, what so, I think yeah. that's what I did. There's my tired brain showing up, um, but on audio, and I flew through it because I was like, I want to know what's going to happen. I got to know what's going to happen. So I really enjoyed it, and I liked Thanks. the banter in the book too. I could, I caught those underlying tones of the humor there. Yeah, um, good because uh, <laughs> the books get dark as you go, and and Rick needs the humor. Um, and luckily, there there is humor in a character that I never anticipated having called Moira uh, McFarlane, who's a private investigator, and she shows up in the second book. And I wanted Rick to be isolated, never to have any friends, and which I would have liked, but but really, I wouldn't have had ten books if I kept <laughs> it that way. And so, I needed Moira for one scene, and they started talking to each other, and and uh, kind of as a brother sister type situation. And um, there's more banter to come, actually. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to get book two here on my next Audible credit. So, <laughs> all right. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about who you are as a reader and what genres you enjoy reading. Well, um, uh, boringly, you might say, I read the, I read the genre I write in. I've read, I've read it all my life. I read mystery slash crime. Okay. I would go back to Agatha Christie, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Those are my two uh, early influences. Um, I've always read mystery. I write, I read, um, you know, I do read nonfiction as well. But really, if I want to get a book, I'm going to go get a, a mystery. I always think it in terms of overall crime. There's a lot of subgenres. Yeah. Um, but th that's what I read. And I don't have a problem. I know some writers can't read the genre while they're writing it. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have a problem. It took me so long to get published that I did develop my own voice um, out of necessity so that I don't worry about copying anybody, copying anyone. Sure. Um, I do cheat from Michael Connolly because he's got, my guy's a PI, but he's got the cop stuff down so, so well that whenever I read something in his book, something I didn't know about police procedure, even though my guy's a PI, he used to be a cop and you know, he's going to come up against cops. Yeah. I will dog ear it, which some people don't like to hear if you dog ear a book. I'll dog ear it and I'll, and I'll go back and like, I'll put that in the file, you know. It's not something I'm going to copy, but some some piece of knowledge that is a benefit to me yeah. as a writer. He did the research for me. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I love that. So how do you find time to read within your day? Like, what's your structure like here? Uh, well, I mentioned earlier about... Um, the the mystery community and um everybody helping each other out i'm a slow reader so okay. i'm i pretty much almost always have a request for a blurb going you know what a blurb is right yeah mm -hmm. yeah so i read a lot of blurb material um i just i just knocked off two blurbs today okay <laughs> after reading if you're doing extensive reading so um i always i'm reading every day but yeah. generally it's um out of responsibility yeah. uh so i when when, when i mentioned michael conley a lot but he's one of my favorite authors when a conley book comes out when a, a t jefferson parker book comes out when robert Grace book comes out i i pretty much drop everything and i'll just go buy the book and read it for pleasure yeah and it's a pretty quick read um but generally i'm kind of I'm, and there's you know you're also asked to judge some awards and things like that so there's that can be if you do the if you do the edgars there's 
it's just you're you're you have no pleasure reading for that year. You are uh, yeah. One year I did the Seamus and the Edgar Awards. Um, wow. So that was the Seamus is not nearly as big as the Edgar's in terms of reading, but yeah, that will never do that again. I always tell myself this is the year I say no, and not you know not to <laughs> not to be negative or mean, but you, you do have to prioritize your your own writing at times. But then you know you have people say yes to you when they're really busy too. So it's hard for me to say no. It's almost like the setting the boundary, right? Of like, okay, I yeah. I know that I have this project that I need to be working on, so I I need a boundary here. It's not that you don't want to be a part of it, but you just can't right. do it all. But when you set that boundary, what usually happens is that someone who did you a solid asks for a favor. Like, well, I can't, you know. Like yeah. a couple of years ago, I won I won two Seamus Awards back to back, and so they asked me to be a judge for a different category that I'm in the next year. And like, how can I say no? That's when I had the Edgars and the Shamans. But how can I say no? <laughs> they just gave me an award. Yeah. 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 That's that guilt. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> A little bit of that. Irish guilt, Our, yeah. Yeah. Well, you've also so graciously prepared a book flight for us today. Can you tell us a little bit about how they pair together? Yeah. Do you want me to mention the books? Sure. Yeah. Whichever yeah. way you want to do it. So uh, I started with The Long Goodbye by Raymond Chandler. I read that in college. Uh, okay. So it was a long time ago. But uh, I, my dad did give me The Simple Art of Murder, which was Raymond Chandler's kind of trustee son on writing um, mysteries. And he kind of took okay. a shot at Agatha Christie and the English, the English writers. Okay. <laughs> so, he's a little <laughs> opinionated. Um, but, but there were a lot of short stories in there, which I, I um, he only wrote seven novels, but... So I don't, I don't think I read, I read a couple of his novels and a lot of his short stories in high school. And then when I went to college, I actually took a, I took a private eye um, course for my, I have an English degree and I was a private eye course Okay. by, by Professor Steiner. I remember him well. And he gave us The Long Goodbye by Chandler, which I don't, I mean, it was a second or third book. I can't remember exactly which one, but to me, it's the best. Um, it's not as not as um, most well known, but it's close. Um, and it's it's kind of, what. Of course, this is before. I mean, I thought I was going to be a writer. I wanted to be a writer, but I wasn't really. You know, I was young. I wasn't like putting the nuts and bolts together. Sure. But um, in, I think this was in. Uh, there is. I'm going to read just something. It's a Chandler kind of on what the PI should be or his his hero should be. Okay. So I just want to read a brief thing because it kind of it kind of sets the state because you know Chandler was he's thought of being one of the top you know one of the top there's Chandler there's Hammett in terms of men and um, Ross McDonald who was much more okay. prolific than either one of them um, and I read I read them all but so but Chandler was kind of the gold standard thought to be and so he kind of I realized that he was sort of setting the stage for those of us who came later and and because my guy does have a code that he lives by. And I don't even know. I mean, that was probably osmosis for, from Chandler because I didn't, you know, I didn't. I remember part of this, but anyway, I'll just read it. Okay. Down these mean streets, a man must go who is not himself mean, who is neither tarnished nor afraid. He is the hero. He is everything. He must be a complete man and a common man and yet an unusual man. He must be, to use a rather weathered phrase, a man of honor by instinct, by inevitability, without thought of it, and certainly without saying it. He must be the best man in his world and a good enough man for any world. There's more, but I think that really 
hits it, yeah. uh, hits it on the head. And I, for me, there's definitely a connection between my guy, uh, um, Rick Cahill. If you'll notice the initials RC, Rick Cahill, Raymond Chandler. That was a, uh, that was my, that was my nod, okay. my nod to Chandler <laughs> all these years ago when I started writing him. But Rick has a code too, and it was handed down to his father, which is, um, um, I put it in every book. Let me see. <laughs> Sometimes you have to do what's right, even when the law says it's wrong, which is a little different than what Chandler's saying, but it's a code that Rick definitely lives by. And um, he is all the things that Chandler said, but he's also a little, there's a little, there's more darkness here and there's more um, hazy lines but it, he does think he's doing the right thing always. Um, yeah. But as the books go on, he begins to wonder, well, doesn't don't megalomaniacs think they're doing the right thing too. When you've made yourself judge, uh, jury and executioner, isn't that a, um, you know, is, isn't that evil? And there's been times when he has been all three um, to people who are bad people, but not more necessarily doing, I mean, he has, he's killed people and not in self-defense. He's thinking of future self-defense and he's thinking of saving people he knows. So he's kind of crossed the line, but he does live by this code. And he um, he is a man of honor, unquestionably. And But I think, I think really, get away from me, is that Chandler kind of set the stage for this. This kind of, this man above all, but, but a common man. He does say, but he's a common man also. And that, to me, that's just, that really nails what i'm what i've tried to do and in the long goodbye uh you can pick any chandler book but in the long goodbye Ch i can't remember the guy's name that chandler meets um he's some drunk uh terry something okay. but he's you can tell he's a kind of a a ne'er-do-well but he's a seemingly a, of some wealth and this is back in the probably 40s when chandler's writing it and he's kind of he's drunk on his ass he's kind of getting not he's metaphorically getting kicked while he's down and for philip marlowe Chan, chandler's protagonist he just can't you know he could go away but he just even though the guy's drunk and you know he's made his own bed but he has to help him he just that's the honorable thing for him to do and in helping him they be kind of become kind of drinking buddies and the guy's clearly effed up but but he, but when he gets involved and so chandler doesn't chandler Marlo doesn't owe him anything. Yeah. But when he gets um, accused of a murder, and this is, you know, they're not great friends. They haven't known each other that long. Chandler feels a responsibility. Chandler. Marlo, sorry. Marlo <laughs> feels a responsibility to help the guy, to try to get to the truth of the matter. And that's also kind of a theme throughout all the private eye um, novels, yeah. the truth of the matter. Yeah. And because it is the right thing to do, he can't let, you can't let it stand that um, this guy is probably innocent and he may go to jail. And just by happenstance, this guy came in his life, but he feels, I think I'm putting words into Chandler and Marlowe's uh, mouth. It's been a while since I read it, um, that he feels responsible for, for the person. And that's what my guy does too. Rick Cahill, once he gets involved, he feels responsible. And the other books I chose um, Devil in a Blue Dress by Walter Mosley, which I think came out in 90. Okay. And that's um, Easy Rollins, a great movie, by the way, with um, Denzel Washington, you know, probably the greatest living actor we have, I think. Yeah. Um, great role. And and uh, I think I read the book before I saw the movie. But um, once again, 
he easy in this book because there's I think 15 or more of the easier all books but this is the first one okay he he needs money he just he bought a house he just came back from the war he lost his job at the factory he was working at but he's got a mortgage he's got to pay his mortgage so he ends up working for a guy who he who's um he knows kind of a bad guy he's kind of a small time um we're not called medium time um bad guy criminal but he needs the money and then he, he gets involved in some things and then at ultimately he has to do some some somewhat innocence get involved and he has to do what's right he has to go against um this person who's been paying him and he has to do the right thing and um and there's with with chandler uh, marlo had been a cop but he's always going up against you know the, the cops from la that time they were they're uh they kind of ruled the roost there they, with uh billy clubs and yeah. you know he took he took his beatings but he but he he lived by his you know he had to do what was right he, he just, instead of maybe taking the easy way out he would get his lumps by um doing what he thought was right and and easy rollins is the same way and silent joe by t jefferson parker i mean you got t jefferson parker and walter mosley um two of the greatest um, mystery writers living and then probably many thought think to be raymond chandler the best of all time um and silent joe he's got there's this um i'm forgetting his last name but joe is his um biological father hideously scars him with battery acid on his face so he's um I mean, he's a hideous looking person yeah. and, and yet he, he's, he's later adopted and he is by his father. Who's kind of a famous in a small in Orange County or whatever uh, part of Orange County is politician. Okay. And Joe, he's also a um, sheriff's deputy who's in Orange County. When you're a sheriff's deputy, you have to work for a certain amount of years in the jails before you can get out on patrol. And that's what Joe's doing. He's working okay. in the jails jails during the day but at night he drives his dad around who he worships to like doing he's kind of his bodyguard and also his enforcer when needed because mm-hmm. his dad is he realizes his dad well you know he loves him and he's wonderful and he saved him but he's maybe involved in some shady things and then he ends up getting murdered on joe's watch and so joe can't let that stand but the more he, he investigates the more he realized his dad was very iffy, but still he has a sense of and somewhat revenge, but also justice. You know, I have to bring justice to the matter. All these, all the, the, the guys I mentioned, the guys, the characters I mentioned is they are, the, ju- there has to be justice in the world. I think, and I think that's true, even though they may come from different places, but ultimately at the very end, they have to bring justice to an unjust world. And that that's, yeah. That's how I think the flight kind of comes together. For me, they were just all great influences on me as a writer. I mean, like I said, I read Raymond Chandler, young and old, older. And Walter Mosley, Devil in a Blue Dress, had a great effect on me. I wasn't, it was in, it was in 1990 when it came out. I probably read it within a year when it came out. Okay. I wasn't, you know, I had this thing where I was going to be a writer, but I wasn't doing anything about it. Sure. But when, um, when I read um, Silent Joe, I was, 
um, a neophyte writer trying to figure out what I was doing. And I, I got a completely different idea of, of how to write a mystery from Jeff Parker and that, you know, character is king. And the other thing about Joe is that um, he was, he was gargoyleish. He's kind of like one side of his face, but he had this kind of heart of gold that, that even though he kind of, you know, he was an enforcer for his dad, but he was, he was an honorable man. He was the hero that Chandler talked about. <clears throat> and he never lost that. He was always the best man there. Um, and so that really resonated with me. And I've got my guy, Rick Cahill. He doesn't know if he's that best man anymore. Um, he does try, he is trying to bring justice to an unjust world, but he questions himself. Like I mentioned earlier, am I, am I in the right here? Yeah. <clears throat> um, I so th- I would recommend those books to anybody, any one of them yeah. to anyone. The great, great writers all. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of these as you've been talking about them. It's, you know, I'm thinking about from the character perspective, if you're faced with that, like, right, bringing justice to the unjust world or being the judge, jury, the executioner, all with, you know, in your day to day life, I mean, you have to live by an honor code to stay true to yourself, right? I mean, yeah, or you become or you become what you think you're trying to save the world from. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like, back to your initial quote from Chandler, right about the being a common man. Yeah, I think most of us all have, you know, if you ask them, like, what are three things that are important to you? I mean, we all have probably our own type of honor code that we are living by. Right. Um, we'll try to live by. Yeah, trying, yes, yeah. <laughs> trying to show up like that every day in your life. And so I think that brings that commonality factor of like, well, we're all out here. I mean, I'm giving people the benefit of the doubt, but most of us are probably out here <laughs> trying to live by an honor code to show up in this world as a good human. <laughs> I think that's true. And I think yeah. it's something that you do have to give um, thought to because it's easy when no one's watching to do the wrong thing. And I do it yeah. plenty, but I, I, it is something I um, that you need to give. I'm, it's interesting you said that because it's something over the last year I really tried to work on. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, obviously the, uh, the world would be a better place if we all kind of were better at it. But um, yeah, I like that. Yeah, I mean, that's why we're all, I mean, we're all out here bumbling around, but I feel like I, I have, my kids are young, so I feel like I'm the example right now, right? right? So I yeah. really feel like I'm living this day in, day out of like, well, what do I want to show them? <laughs> yeah. How do I want to show up in my day? Because they, I could say something till I'm blue in the face, but they're going to do my example. So right. what is it that is so that's, that's a huge responsibility. Yeah. So I don't know, just was resonating as you were talking about it. I think that's the commonality piece for us, right? Is that we all have our, and it's going to be different for everybody and that's fine. That's what makes us human. I will say the one thing, the other connective tissue to me is that um, through all these books, it's, you know, people think these aren't really thrillers, but um, everything's called a thriller nowadays. But really, character is king with all these. And that's what I think people don't, um, people that don't read the genre, the best books in the genre, may not understand that um, writing mysteries, you can... Just by the this, I learned from um, Ross McDonald um, from a class we I took. He, he wasn't there, but 
you know, just just by having to go investigate a clue, a private investigator can go through any strata of society to follow the clue and bring light to it. Um, so there's, you know, the, 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 I, when I read Chandler, I don't remember the, the you had a question. Um, I'm going to cheat here about rereading and Chandler, yeah. I reread when I can, but I don't remember this plot. I just remember the characters. You know, I remember the, I remember, I remember the, the, the man of honor, yeah. which is great, which is great when you don't remember the plot. Cause then you can just read keep reading over. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's that's what resonates. I think that's what resonates with a lot of people that read mysteries or re read crime, is that it's the characters account. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's same. I I try to read a lot of genres, but if I'm resonating with the characters, I'm already gonna like the book probably right. more in my mind. Right? It's already gonna be. Oh yeah, I really liked that because I was resonating with the characters, or I could relate to the characters. Mm -hmm. So. I mean, you don't have to relate to all the characters. That's not it. But right, like you want them to win. <laughs> yeah. I had, uh, when I was at Warwick's um, a couple of weeks ago for the launch, <laughs> one came up to me and said, I had to put Rick down. I'm like, oh, great. There's a oh, loss no. reader. She goes, she gets, <laughs> he, he gets me so angry. Um, but then I picked it up again, of course, and I finished it and I'm here to buy the next book, which is exactly, I mean, that is walking the line that I wanted to be on is that. Rick's not going to be for everybody, but there's, there's going to be a strong emotion. And um, that's what I hope for uh, and being able to win them back. But yeah, that's because she, the character meant something to her and then he disappointed her. He can kind of continues to make some bad decisions that disappoint them, uh, the readers, which I think is fun. Yeah. Well, and like you said with Chandler, right? Like it's, you're remembering the characters and that's what's going to linger with them long after yeah. the plot of the story is going to be that character. So I like Hopefully, that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing this great book flight with us today. So how I end our episodes here is with our bonus pairing. So these are just a speed round of questions. We will kick it off with what is one book you've read that has intimidated you? Well, <clears throat> I'm just going to say anything written by Megan Abbott. Okay. Um, because she writes with such depth that, uh, and I've said this before, when I read her and then I go back to writing my own stuff, I feel like a cowboy when they ask him to sign the deed or something and he just writes an <laughs> X, X across the paper. Because she's just so, um, she's very literary, but she writes really, she's kind of known for domestic suspense now, but she's written a lot of different things. She's written hard, she wrote hard boiled early in her career. Okay. She, she, the writing is so, and I mean, I say dense, but I don't mean that negatively. There's just so much going on and the, um, the vocabulary, it's, it's just all, it's really great stuff. But I, so uh, I get intimidated whenever I pick one of her books up. Okay. All right. I have not heard of her, so I'm excited. No, you should check I'm her intrigued. Out. Yeah, yeah. Pick she's one up. really, really good. Okay. Wonderful. And then what is one book that has changed your life? I would say it was, I, I, I'll say um two books i had tonight one is uh raymond chandler uh, the the long goodbye okay that's when i really i wasn't you know i thought i wanted to be a writer but it wasn't anything i was really pursuing but um just the because i read I, I read younger i read uh, sir arthur conan doyle you know sherlock holmes and agatha sure. christie and so you're dealing when you're a kid you're like black and white good and bad here are the puzzle pieces let's fix the puzzle and then i read chandler's like gray <laughs> this, 
this piece doesn't fit here, you know, as a 14 year old, however I was, that's kind of where you are anyway. Yeah. So that, that changed my life and just saying, wow, you know, there's, there's different ideas on, on mysteries and, and interesting. And when I read um, Silent Joe by Jeff Parker, I was taking this class from Carolyn Wheat at UCSD Extension, who I mentioned earlier. Okay. And she, I don't even think we were reading it. I think she just gave it to me. She said, I think you'll like this author. And I, I never heard of him. He's the only guy who's ever won three Edgars, but this was the second Edgar. And that's first Edgar he won with Silent Joe. But it okay. really just showed me because I was I was taking classes. I did. I was on a path to become a writer, but it just showed me that character was king. And that's yeah. to me, for me, it it got me on the on the path of this is what I want to write. Um, I don't want I can't copy Jeff Parker. I don't want to. I'd have to do my own thing. Um, I mean, I would love to copy him, but um, but character is king. And that yeah. that kind of just turned flipped the light on for me. Um, he had just had a big influence on me. Well, Matt, I think you've given us a show title. Character is King. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> not original. It's not original. But... Okay. All right. Well, we'll think on that one. I'll think. No, we can use it. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, there's no... <laughs> you know, we're not going to get sued. Yeah. All right. Well, and then lastly, what are you reading next? Well, I'll, what I'm going to be reading next is a novel by Alison Brennan. And uh, I got a, I'm just going to start because I told you I had two blurbs to finish. I yep. got the, uh, I can't remember the name, but I'm sorry, Allison, but I haven't looked, opened it up yet. It's it's a uh, an arc, an advanced reader copy of her next book and a okay. new series, a new series she's writing. So I'm really excited cool. to get into it. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. I really appreciate all the time that you've given me. <laughs> I, gave you, I gave you a lot of time. I talked and talked. <laughs> thank, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode today with Matt Coyle and his book flight of crime fiction, Characters King books. We'd love to hear what other books you'd pair with this book flight at bookishflights.com. That is also where you can find more information about today's book flight or other books that we talked about. I want to inspire a community of readers. So whenever you share a post about what you are reading or what you are reading next, especially if you have heard about it on the show, please tag us on Facebook or Instagram at Bookish Flights. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Your review not only helps the show, but it also helps the podcast to reach others. Make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to make sure you will not miss an episode. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. As Emma Thompson said, I think books are like people in the sense that they'll turn up in your life when you most need them. Cheers to you, dear readers. Until next time.